Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you all right? Fine. Together again, huh? Good missing. How are we doing? Same as always. That bad, huh? Everybody, welcome to episode ninety-eight of Full of Sith. I am obviously not the Mike Pilot. I am Bobby Roberts, and I am back after a, about a month, maybe over a month. It's not like you've really been marking your calendar, circling anything, wondering when I'm finally going to return. But I have returned, and I have to offer you uh, almost nothing. I don't have any really cool stories. I didn't really do anything super special. But that is not the case. For my co-hosts, who did do a bunch of really cool stuff while I was out, not only holding down the fort here at Full of Sith, but writing and creating and providing you with all sorts of wonderful content for the new year. My co-hosts, of course, are Brian Young. Howdy-do. And Amy Ratcliffe. Hello. It's so nice to have you back. Oh, it's so nice to hear both of you in my headphones. You're all inside my head. It's a nice little party. It's like that Pixar movie, except instead of weird, fuzzy people with goofy mustaches, it's Amy and Brian. Neither of you have grown a mustache since I last talked to you, right? Uh, I've had one ever since I've known you. Yeah, but no, no, you had a beard, not a mustache. Yeah, yeah, okay, like a beard, but I mean, a beard includes a mustache. See, this is the kind of jerk that I am. I'm correcting you on your own facial hair. I've been on the internet for far too long, really. And Amy, of course, no mustache, right? Uh, no, thankfully. All right, good. Thumbs Happily. up. I, I, that is one of the few things you haven't done since the year started. You've been very busy on the article writing front. You've been uh, sort of taking the internet by storm. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that you've been writing. I want to talk about this before we head into the Star Wars segment of today's show. Oh my goodness, it has been a busy year so far. I've been writing about Agent Carter, Star Wars Rebels. I've been trying a new thing for the StarWars.com blog that you guys will see more of. The first article was uh, by Life Lessons from Ahsoka. And that was just a joy to write because Clone Wars has a special place in my heart. But it was also really nice once it was published to see that other people... I, I knew Ahsoka had fans. Like I know that I am not the only Ahsoka like, that's ridiculous. But I didn't know there were that many people who were that enthusiastic about Ahsoka to, like, enough to the point where they would tweet me and say, like, that was really cool. I really appreciate seeing more of Ahsoka. It just made me feel all warm and fuzzy. Well, and I don't want people to not read the article, so I'm not going to ask you to sort of recap the whole thing. But for you, what is maybe the most important life lesson to learn from Ahsoka from the Clone Wars? For me, this is giant spoiler if you haven't watched Clone Wars yet. Uh, the end when she walks away, like, I think it's a very valuable lesson that it's okay to walk away. There's a lot to be said for like hanging in and, and not quitting. But if your beliefs aren't matching with what you're doing, like, it's okay to leave. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. 
And speaking of uh, StarWars.com and writing for it, Brian, you just recently posted something to StarWars.com that also had to do a little bit with the Clone Wars. Could you talk about that article for a little bit? Yeah, so as you guys know, I do the cinema behind Star Wars. I've been moving, and we've been talking about this on the show a little bit, and I found this old notebook that were my old notes from when I went to the season three premiere of the Clone Wars, and I forgot how much about Gunga Din I was writing about because that season three opener... Clone number 99 is pretty much Gunga Din. And then I got to thinking like, well, that might be a really uh, thin article. And so I started thinking about Gunga Din and looking into it and found a whole bunch of stuff that that movie inspired. For those of you who have not seen Gunga Din, it's pretty much Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, but with Cary Grant and Douglas Fairbanks. It's just a fun movie. I was very happy to write about it and try to draw people to it. All right. And they can find that on StarWars.com. All they have to do is go right to- below Amy's Ahsoka article. I love that Full of Sith is all over StarWars.com. We're just, <laughs> we're just infiltrating. We're sneaking in. Eventually, at some point, they're going to give us a movie, right? That's how that works. Like, you write a bunch of really interesting blog posts, and then they just hand you a spinoff, right? Is there a spinoff that you guys would like to write? Do you think that if Lucasfilm came a knocking that you had a movie in mind? Go ahead, Brian. I would love to see... Uh, not not I, love to see, love to write. Like, you would have to sit down and wrestle yeah, no, with this I would, thing. I would love to write. Now that Dark Horse no longer has the license, I feel okay talking about this now. But with uh, a fellow artist, we'd pitched to Dark Horse a story about Jackson the Rabbit basically starring in a Star Wars remake of, like, Yojimbo. And I would Ooh. love to see that right off the bat. Like, he comes into this dusty town on Nalhutta, and he's playing one hut against the other. It's funny that you mention Jackson from the old Marvel comics. He's already actually shown up on at least one variant cover. I actually have, in a weird sort of six degrees of green space rabbit connection to Jackson. Uh, one of the first fan fiction things that I ever noticed on the internet, I ended up becoming very good friends with this guy through my old show, was a fan comic written and drawn by Mike Russell and David E. Stroop called Jackson's Eleven, which basically took the heist film structure of Ocean's Eleven and populated it with a bunch of bounty hunters, Han Solo, Jackson the Rabbit, and a bunch of old back-in-the-background Marvel Comics weird side characters, and they went and they committed a, a fun heist. It's funny that you and and Mike Russell and David E. Stroop sort of arrived at the same point and I think they might have pitched it to Dark Horse, too. I'm sort of imagining Mike Richardson at Dark Horse with all these pitches for Jackson stories falling into his lap. It's like, what is <laughs> the hell with this rabbit? You, I'm drowning in, in space rabbits. What's going on here? Uh, Amy, is there a, a particular story that you would like to dig into if they ever offered you a spinoff film? Yes, though I can only write it to a certain degree. But, you know, I don't know how to write anything that's not blogging or journalism. Yeah. So I want to write a nature documentary about baby banthas and baby tauntauns. And <laughs> that's what I would want to make. I was like, not- I'm holding like we're going to get like Disney nature, but on Star Wars planet. It's sort, of, sort of like the walking with dinosaurs route that was going on in the BBC. Yeah. Yeah. That gives me another idea, too. What about following a journalist in the Star Wars universe? Yeah. Well, now we're talking... Could you imagine all the president's men going on in the underbelly of Coruscant to these guys trying to take down Palpatine? Well, now we're talking about putting Amy in a movie instead of having her write one. Because if we're going to have a a journalist story in the the heart of Star Wars, someone trying to uncover the corruption... You'd have to put Amy in that, right? I would imagine. I would. Be pretty exciting. <laughs> Not for anybody watching it, but for me. 
Well, and that sort of ties into some recent news uh, regarding the spinoffs. As a matter of fact, uh, Gary Whitta, who was hired along with Gareth Edwards, uh, very famously, they were paired together and presented as the uh, the creative engine behind the very first Star Wars spinoff movie. Gary Whitta is no longer working on the movie. The Hollywood Reporter reported Whitta will be leaving. Apparently, it's a very amicable Witta gave a very nice statement. He went on Twitter and showed like the first page of his script and how proud he was that he got to contribute to the Star Wars universe. But Hollywood reporters reporting they're probably going to hire another writer and then continue on from there. Any thoughts as to the leaving of yet another Star Wars writer? First, there was Arndt, and then there was Wiseman, and now we add to that list Gary Witta. You know, I think this movie is so close to shooting, I can't imagine there's going to be a whole lot of rewriting. This movie comes out in less than two years, so they have to be working on it quickly. And so whatever he's done, there's obviously, it's still going to serve as that backbone. But I'm also curious because Gareth Edwards as a director is a guy who believes in improvisation. I believe Monsters, which is a film I absolutely do not like whatsoever. I believe Monsters is almost entirely improv. Like there is a script and Gareth Edwards is credited for having written that script. But from what I understand, the script was essentially notes as to where actors were going to be at a certain point in the story. And then the actors came up with their own dialogue and their own motivation from there while Gareth Edwards sort of coached them on where he wanted the scene to go and such. So Amy, are you, does this spark warning signs or are you just sort of like, eh, this is how the movie industry works? A little of both. I think the part that rings weird about it to me is that Gareth Edwards and Gary Wood have both felt the need to make statements about it because they could have just not said anything. They could have just waited until... Because you said the script has to be relatively close to completion. I think that even if uh, Gareth Edwards' style is a little more freeform, I don't think Lucasfilm and Disney would be so down with that amount of improvisation. True. But they could have been told they had to make statements because, admit it, had they not made a statement, we'd all be going like, what is their silence telling us? Mm. Yeah, it's the worst thing. You're absolutely right. There's definitely got to be a compromise so far as public relations go. You can't not say anything because then people start looking at you sideways like, what are you trying to hide? And you can't come out and just be like, oh, we didn't like his first draft and we had to bounce him because then you sound like a dick. So there's there's a fine line to walk so that everybody is happy and everyone is sort of comforted that things are on the right track. We've talked about it before on this show. Making movies isn't easy and everyone's not going to stay friends at the end of it and there are going to be fights and there are going to be disagreements and people are going to have to leave the project before they absolutely wanted to leave the project. I don't know if that's what's going on here with Witta or if Witta was in fact hired to only deliver a couple drafts and he knew he was going to be getting out but it definitely at the least seems amicable so it doesn't seem like there was like a fist fight behind the scenes or anything it seems a lot less sinister mm-hmm. and i don't I, I think that might be too strong a word than the weissman thing and it seems a lot less unceremonious than the Arndt departure this yeah. seems like it was like job's done we're moving on Witta did the job he was supposed to do You know, he's getting more work, so the characterization of him in the Sony emails probably isn't uh, accurate. Yeah, well, all the Sony emails really prove to anybody is that Hollywood really is the den of weasels you thought it was. (laughs) That's really all that particularly proved. Getting back to strictly Star Wars discussion, uh, you were talking about Gunga Din and that Clone Wars episode that really crystallized Gunga Din's relationship to Star Wars as a, uh, a piece of inspiration. Speaking of Star Wars animation, a show came back. That we had been missing over the Christmas break. Uh, you guys want to talk about the new episode of Rebels? 
Yeah, I do actually a lot. Well, then um, go ahead and kick it off, Brian. We will start oh. with you. What do you want to talk about? Well, this episode, Path of the Jedi, took Ezra and Kanan on a quest, and it was reminiscent of the, the Jedi trials uh, that we've heard so much about and seen Luke put through a little bit. I think it had some pretty far-reaching things to say about the mythology of Star Wars. Amy, I know you were particularly excited to talk about this episode. What about this episode just in general, before we start breaking down plot elements and character work and the fact that Frank Oz came back and that felt really warm and fuzzy in all the nostalgic places of our hearts? Uh, what what really jumped out at you about this episode that made you want to talk about it so fiercely? Well, I guess it's more just tying into the, the what the Jedi kind of how they function and how they how they progress along their steps of becoming a, a knight and a master. The big one, learning that there are temples all over the galaxy, and if they're on a planet as far flung as Lothal, which is out in the middle of nowhere, it really makes me think about the cave on Dagobah. Is that a Jedi temple? Like, was it one before? Like, is that why Yoda chose Dagobah? And besides that, we learned that Yoda maybe, you know, wasn't just in his little hut, like cooking for years and years all by himself. If he had contact with these two, presumably with several other Jedi that survived. And that's kind of big. All right. Now, the contact part, I, I want to ask Brian about this because I know he's either formulated an answer or an answer immediately sprang to mind as he was watching this. Some people are having problem with the fact that Yoda directly talked to both Kanan and Ezra, partially because, you know, it's been a complaint ever since the prequels that this sort of thing makes the Star Wars universe smaller as opposed to feeling more expansive, but mostly because if Yoda knew of Kanan and Ezra, what does that mean for this show and the Star Wars mythology in general? It makes some things that Yoda said that I thought we could take figuratively as literal. When Yoda says, uh, This one, a long time have I watched. I don't think he's being figurative anymore. And I think that that's part of the training that Qui-Gon did with him. That's my theory. But you'll notice in the dialogue where Yoda says something has changed and he's not sure what has changed, but something has changed as we're nearing closer and closer to the events of a new hope, something in the galaxy, something in the force has changed. And they said that we'd be getting hints at what the force awakens might be. And could this be if something in the force has changed here, it sort of paves the way for that happening later Another point to look at it is in Revenge of the Sith. When Order 66 is going down, Yoda feels it. And he doesn't just feel it. Like, he feels it viscerally and emotionally. And you see that anguish on his face when the other Jedi are dying. And now that we know that he can communicate with these other Jedi specifically, at the very least, if they're in these temples, which seem sort of reminiscent maybe of the Palantirs in Lord of the Rings, which is... Super nerdy of me. Um, oh, no, that's okay. I was just thinking that Yoda's cave is maybe like Cerebro, so... <laughs> I like that one better. Although I do sort of like the idea of a force-powered Cerebro that can communicate with force-sensitive palantirs across the galaxy. Like, <laughs> But if Yoda can have a direct link to all the Jedi left in the galaxy, when he tells Luke that he's the last of the Jedi... That means a lot more. Now, do you think, because a lot of people immediately hop to the impression that this definitely means our gang of friends here on the ghost are going to have to give up the ghost by the end of the series. Do you guys agree with that? Or do you think that Filoni and Kinberg are going to come up with a nice out so that we don't have to see 
Canaan or Ezra make that sacrifice, that they're going to be able to walk off into a sunset somewhere. Because there were a lot of the same sort of questions about the fate of Ahsoka. I remember when she got introduced, part of the reason people were so eager to write her off was because they just knew that she was going to end up dying by the end of Clone Wars. So what was the point of getting invested in her? And it turned out that was absolutely not the case. Do you think it's going to be that sort of a situation here with Rebels? I think that's the best part about it, is that because of what they did with Ahsoka with our assumptions there and what they're doing with these guys is that anything is possible. That door can lead anywhere. Maybe the reason Yoda says you're the last of the Jedi is because maybe Kanan and Ezra turn to the dark side. Maybe Ezra turns to the dark side. Maybe Ezra turns to the dark side and kills Kanan because he's obviously got some problems and we've already seen him tapping into the dark side. There's a lot of different ways that could go. Amy, what what do you think? Do you think this is sort of a, a bit of foreshadowing as to the fate of our heroes? I think, and this isn't necessarily, and maybe just more I hope, um, because they kind of gave us the ambiguous ending with Ahsoka, which I'm very glad for. But because of that, I hope we see what happens to Kanan and Ezra. And if we see it, I don't see another way than death. Do you see a sort of a situation where they die? And of course, it's going to be sad. As a Doctor Who fan, they figure out ways to kill the main character every three or four years. But it's still sort of, I mean, you know, I'm not saying he's going to regenerate or anything like that. But what I am saying is... Do you see there being an exit where they die, but audiences are still okay with it? If I saw them die for a good cause, if they went out fighting the good fight like they are, uh, maybe taking out the Inquisitor, maybe taking out something better, bigger, I would feel sad, but I would be okay with it. If Yoda's coming in and Yoda can communicate with Kanan and continue Kanan's training, he could teach Kanan that path to immortality as well. So this could be leading to a Kanan Force ghost. Is that death? No, that's immortality through the Force. And that would be that bittersweet sort of regeneration that uh, I think maybe people might be looking for by the end of the series. I love that as this episode goes on, we, we're uh, having Star Wars, like like some sort of pop culture Katamari ball, picking up, okay, well then, <laughs> here's some Lord of the Rings, here's some X-Men, here's some Doctor Who, it's going to be beautiful, wonderful, everyone come hang out underneath the Star Wars tent. One idea I want to float by you guys How do you feel about the fan theory this show will likely end up with our heroes helping to assist the Bothans that steal the Death Star plans? Which set of Death Star plans? Oh, that's an interesting question. I hadn't considered that. I figured they were just going to streamline that now that the uh, the old expanded universe is out of the picture, that it would just be one set of Death Star plans. Uh, And we've got Mon Mothma referring to... Many Bothans died. But we don't exactly know that it was the Bothans now. It could have just been that Bothans died running interference for our friends on the ghost or something along those lines. The thing is, is we've got so the that first set of plans rebels takes place four or five years before a new hope. And it seems to make sense that they would spend those four or five years. They've already hinted at the first Death Star, right? Mm. They've already hinted at that giant kyber crystal they were using as the focusing beam for the super laser. I think they're heading toward that with the first Death Star, and they could be handing them off to Fulcrum, who could very well be Princess Leia. Or Ahsoka? Do you think there's any I hope so. I I mean, the only reason I don't think it's Leia or Bail Organa is because the Tanavi 4 is red, Mm -hmm. and Fulcrum's ship is the exact same ship, but blue. 
have people done sort of voice analysis on that? I got to imagine there's some geek somewhere yes. who, who took it in. Okay, that's a female voice, isn't it? Yeah, somebody, and I, I don't remember who, but somebody analyzed it and, then, and said they felt pretty certain that it's Ahsoka. Yeah, I got a sense that it's a female voice at the least, which means it's either Leia or Ahsoka. Let me just ask you guys straight up, who would you prefer it to be? Would you prefer it to be Princess Leia or would you prefer it to be Ahsoka? Ahsoka for me. Really? Why, why her over Leia? I want more of Ahsoka. I want a greater hint of what happened to her and to see it would be so fulfilling to see that she she walked away from the Jedi, but she didn't fall, that she got, you know, she was inspired by her work with Lux Monteri and, and uh, Sal uh, Guerrero. Was that the same, I think? Yeah. But she was inspired by that and, and, you know, got involved in forming the Rebel I, Alliance because we already know Leia was there. I would put odds on Ahsoka sooner than Leia because Leia is actually younger than Ezra. You know, sure, by like a week, but... Leia is younger than Ezra, and if Ezra finds out that Fulcrum is like younger than him, I don't think that does the entire team any credibility. But I think Ahsoka makes a lot of sense. Man, I would kill to see a conversation between Yoda and Ahsoka. But that's the other thing. Like Ahsoka's not a Jedi, so she could even survive through the events of Return of the Jedi if Yoda's statement is super pedantic and he's super like specific, like no. The Jedi Order as it was is gone. Sure, there's other people out there who use the Force or whatever. Like, Ahsoka could have made it through that, too. Are you suggesting that the writers of Star Wars, the keepers of the Star Wars flame, are going to be that nitpicky about it to get away? <laughs> with- well, no, but it's it's <laughs> they're going to come up with rationalizations for things that people might say might not fit. Just like we had that entire episode about how Leia does or doesn't remember her mother. Yeah. There are going to be those things created by these continuing stories that could be an explanation for how Ahsoka makes it through. All right. Now you brought up Yoda. Frank Oz came back. What did you guys think about hearing him again? How did you feel? How did it make you feel hearing that that grovery voice? I really wish personally they would not have announced it before the episode. I understand why they did. I understand that they needed eyeballs on the show and they were like, Frank Oz is back as Yoda. If you would have watched that episode not knowing he was coming... I think it would have like struck you like a bolt of lightning. Did you guys take to heart any of the stuff Yoda was saying? He was definitely in Zen master mode. I was too hung up on what it meant for Ezra and Kanan to mm-hmm. kind of go through that journey together to really absorb it for myself, if that makes sense. Like, I need to watch it again. No, it makes sense. Um, it makes absolute sense. Actually, we not, we still haven't actually talked about the plot or how it uh, advances the characters of, of Kanan and Ezra. What did you think was the, the biggest takeaway, aside from the fact that Ezra finally got a lightsaber? What did you think was the biggest takeaway uh, in the development of their characters, Amy? That Yoda kind of forced Ezra to peel away the layers of why he was really doing what he was doing. First, we had the Inquisitor appearing as his as the thing he is most afraid of, and the Inquisitor is obviously a symbol of the Empire at large, and it's a symbol that he's interacted with and knows is very deadly and and powerful. Seeing him like you know just like oh, I just want to get back at the Empire, like I can't stand for this, like I, I hate them, and to get to the point, well, really, I just want to protect the people I love and people that can't help themselves. I thought that was a really beautiful little moment for Ezra. Kanan is starting to really acquire that third dimension that I've been hoping he would have throughout the show. Although he's acquiring that third dimension sort of at the expense of the other aspects of him. Like he was sold to us as the cowboy Jedi. And I still haven't quite gotten that yet. Like that has not coalesced or come together for me so far in season one. I'm not saying he's not a, uh, a fully fleshed out character. Cause I believe as of this episode, he definitely is, but he's definitely not the cowboy Jedi. He seems more like an awkward teenager 
<laughs> if anything, the metaphor I want to use, and it's kind of the metaphor that we used uh, when we talked to Freddie Prinze Jr. Uh, a while back, is that he's kind of a teen dad. That's a good, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I don't mean for Rebels to sound like, uh, at its core, it's essentially an after-school special from the 80s about the dangers of being a father too young. But that's kind of how Kanan's character is shaking out at this point. He's not so cowboy as he is super concerned parent who doesn't trust that he's not going to screw it up, you know? You know, I think yeah. that the book kind of actually does a lot more for the cowboy than the show has so far. Which is really kind of hard for me to separate in that three-dimensional view of the character because I can see that additional depth from elsewhere and can bring it in. That cowboy comes out in public Mm. when they're on a mission or like that first time they face the Inquisitor and he's just like using the force to like beat up stormtroopers and facing off against the Inquisitor. That felt more cowboy Jedi. But when he's with Ezra, there's a vulnerability to him. Mm he's not comfortable with. And speaking of characters who might not be exactly as they were sold, uh, I want to check with you guys real quick. Are you both a little bit, I don't want to say, yeah, disappointed. Are you guys feeling at least a, a tiny level of disappointment in how Hera's character seems to have been sidelined from the first like three or four episodes where it seemed like she was a very major character and one of the, the most fully fleshed out of the characters. And now she, like people were describing her as the mom of the ship and she really is now sort of at this point in the season, the sitcom mom of the ship. Are either of you sharing a little bit of disappointment as to how she's kind of been pushed off to the side? I mean, and I, I know it's hard to balance an ensemble cast like that and some members are going to have to sit out certain episodes and some members aren't going to have as much to do as they would in other episodes. But it really does feel like uh, the three-dimensionality of her character has been sort of shrunk down to 2.5 or 2 in most cases. What do you guys think? I'm processing, Brian. You can go ahead. Yeah, I am, to be honest. I think that there is more that they could be doing. I think there's more that they should be doing. But I think the little things that they have them doing, like that scene in this episode where they're, you know, they're in the galley of the ghost and you hear the Inquisitor just kill them all. That was really emotionally impacting. But that doesn't add anything to the characters because this is going on in this Force Nexus inside of Ezra's head. So, yeah, no, I I would love to see more episodes that focus on Hera, on Sabine. I would be fine with just an episode that Chopper had to lead, to be honest. Really? With all Wookiees. Like, it's all Wookiees and Chopper. There's not any any English spoken. It's life day, maybe. That's. I'm not going to say that's a bad idea, but I'm going to um, say that's going to be a divisive episode if that ever comes. But um, You're a brave man, Brian Young. That's all I'm saying. But I think that at its core, this show is supposed to be adding something to the tapestry of Star Wars. And while we want to add more female characters to the tapestry, this is still the Jedi. And so Hera and Sabine, I don't think it's necessary that they have to take a back seat, but they are because the focus is that Jedi struggle. Because I think there's so much in this episode in particular that actually even raises the stakes in the classic trilogy. Luke failed that test. Luke failed the test that Ezra passes in this episode, like, miserably. Ezra has less training than Luke did at that point. What does that mean for Luke? Like when we watch Rebels in that context and then see Luke fail this test and take into account all the stuff that we saw Anakin do in Attack of the Clones and then in Revenge of the Sith, it makes Return of the Jedi better. Like this episode specifically made Return of the Jedi a better movie for me. All right, Amy, are you done processing? 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> Here's what I think about Hera. I am impressed with her flying skills. And I think more impressive than that is the fact that she is the one deciding the mission. She is the one making the contact. She's the only one who knows who Fulcrum is. I think that's huge that that's her role. And she is the co-leader of the team. And I think it's also not equally important, but important that we see the mom side. We see she's an intrigued mom only because it's just as important or just as strong to to be the caretaker, to look after everyone, to make sure everybody's okay. That, that's not a weakness. Uh, and I like the way they're portraying that. However, I do think that, that it is unbalanced. Like, I don't feel like we've seen enough of Hera. Uh, we haven't seen enough about Sabine at the beginning of the season. There were a couple, I feel like, um, episodes in a row that were kind of Zeb Ezra buddy episodes. I'm like... Uh, we got other stuff to do. Like they're funny, that interaction, you know, but I would like more evenness. Yeah. For sure. And I'm with you on that. For me, it's, and it's been like this for most of the run of uh, rebels, which I thought has been mostly on a flat plane past episode three. Like it got to a certain level of quality and it has just basically been that level up until this last episode. I think my main want for this show is that the writers, figure out a way to get character moments that integrate with the, you know, the moving forward of the plot a little bit better. Cause as it is right now, it's move forward the plot. And then once we have the plot where we need it to be, then we'll stop down for a minute of character interaction that sort of builds who these people are. And then it's off to push the plot forward for another five minutes. And then we, and I sort of want them to blend those two things so that they're, simultaneously moving the story forward while we're getting a sense of who these characters are as people and how they're growing as people on top of that. And there are little moments here and there where that happens, where it really feels like they are people who they are and why they do what they do is what's moving things forward. But more often than not, it's sort of like, these are ciphers that are reacting to what's being forced upon them. And then only when they're not in the middle of something hectic, do we get to see who they are as people. And that sort of makes it feel lopsided. I think the only episode that's transcended that was the two parter um, empire day and gathering forces. Maybe 22 minutes is just hard. It might be. Well, and they're, Um, and they're definitely going for a little bit of a lighter tone. And I mean, to be fair, they do have a much lower budget than they had on Clone Wars. And there were quiet moments in the Clone Wars where the animators were allowed to sort of get across an idea, get across an emotion without the voice actors having to carry any weight. It was just, you know, the crinkle of an eye, the, the movement of their mouth, the way they sort of bit down on whatever feeling they had. And you saw it purely visually. And with Rebels, they just don't have the ability to do that. The money just isn't there. And so you have more, I guess to use pop culture shorthand, more DreamWorks-y like facial expressions that sometimes don't even all the way match with what the voice actors are doing in a scene. And that sort of adds another level of remove to translating what these characters are and what they're trying to do to the audience, I feel. Can I say one more thing about Hera, though? I think it is disappointing that she's not Mm -hmm. more on the show, especially because I've been watching... Like, my kids play Fantasy Flight's, uh, you know, Edge of the Empire game, Mm -hmm. right? Like, with their friends. So my son's the game master, and he has a bunch of friends come over, and uh, my daughter plays with them, too. And because of Rebels, they've set up their game so that she's the pilot of the ship. My daughter created a character that was basically Hera, and all the older kids that come over to play this Star Wars game with her saw Rebels, saw how that worked, and then they put 
the youngest kid in charge because she was playing the character as cool as they wanted to because they <laughs> saw it on the show. That's pretty cool. Speaking of kids and and playing around in the toys, and not only the fact that uh, Ezra's lightsaber toy, I think, is going to be a big thing, not just with kids, but with adult uh, characters who are probably gonna... trying to figure out how to kit bash their own Ezra lightsaber together. And I liked the noise it made. Go for it. I've never heard a lightsaber make the noise that thing made. I thought that was pretty cool. There has been, so far as The Force Awakens go, a list of toys that should be coming out fairly shortly. And I did like uh, that they didn't put any names on anything. So the list of toys is fairly spoiler-free. I did want to address the one thing that has gotten some people talking, and they think they're playing around in spoiler territory. And that's the presence of Darth Vader on that list. And I'm not talking about spoilers. You don't have to start jabbing at the the player that you're listening to us on. We're not going to talk about spoilers for episode seven, but I did want to mention that this list basically says like hero set, hero vehicles. There's no direct names, villain lightsaber, hero lightsaber, feature lightsaber. You know, it doesn't really tell you anything about the show. And then there's something called Darth Vader voice change mask. They probably have a whole bunch of them from when episode three came out. Okay. That's I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that's all it is. Like if you know about what Hulk hands are, if you've ever played with Hulk hands, you know that they recycled the hell out of that toy for almost a decade because they made so many of them in 2003 for that first Hulk movie. I really do get the sense that if there's an episode seven Darth Vader voice changing mask on the list of toys, that it's mostly just how many of those Darth Vader voice masks do we have in the warehouse still? A lot? I think <sighs> they've been available pretty consistently. Like, okay. I, I can eat some crow on that if, if I'm proved wrong, <laughs> but... I'm pretty sure. Yeah, well, I just wanted to bring up, uh, don't be afraid to look at the list of toys. I know both of you were like, I didn't look at that list because you don't want to be spoiled. But it- Well, I, I, I'll tell you, like, the toys have spoiled me before. And it's obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's almost for no reason. I remember when Attack of the Clones came out and they were keeping raps on who Christopher Lee was playing. And it was just like, he's Count Dooku. He's this mysterious count. And you go into that toy aisle on midnight, that first day when they released the toys... And all of a sudden, like, every toy is labeled Darth Tyrannus. <laughs> and it's like, well, I guess he's a Sith Lord, yeah. which really sucks because that reveal is so cool in the movie. And the scenes before you know that Dooku is a bad guy work really well, especially when he's talking to Obi-Wan and trying to tell him the truth. But the toys ruined all of that. So I was wary of them. Well, there there are no spoilers with this list of toy. All it, all it tells you is that there are going to be hero vehicles and villain vehicles and hero weapons and villain weapons uh, and, and lightsabers. Which, there's lightsabers which, aplenty. So don't be too worried about the fact there's a Darth Vader voice changer mask loaded in with the rest of the Episode Seven toys. Uh, I'm imagining it's probably just a matter of repackaging toys they've had since 2005 and trying to get them out of the warehouse. Um, speaking of Episode Seven, by the way, uh, I do want to mention this. There have been new hires. Uh, certain segments of the internet were set on fire upon hearing of these. Three actors were revealed to have been cast in The Force Awakens that nobody had heard of before. We didn't hear about these actors having worked on the movie until after shooting it wrapped uh, and it's three actors from the uh, the film the raid uh, and they're not just actors as a matter of fact they are fight choreographers as well some of our listeners might not have seen the raid it's an r-rated action film 
The Raid is a straight up action movie that hurts you. It is a very painful movie to watch. It's like the actors are actually hitting you in the face and the spleen and the kneecaps with all of their amazingly choreographed blows. And these guys are going to be working on Star Wars. Uh, Brian, did you have an opinion as to this news? Like, did this freak you out a little bit? Did it make you want to go and seek out their fight scenes on YouTube? Or were you like, oh, good, we're going to get some serious action in episode uh-huh. seven? I was actually pretty ambivalent about it. Like at first, uh, originally, because the report came out of Twitch film and it was just like, yep, these guys are doing it. No confirmation, denials from everybody, but they're in it. Mm -hmm. So at first I was just like, man, it's not happening. And then I heard some things, maybe believe in the veracity of the report. And, uh, you know, I got excited that we'd be getting some cool action sequences with a caveat. My favorite action sequences in Star Wars are always the ones that have a very deep emotional core to them. Mm. The fight between Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, and Darth Maul is really cool to look at, and it's much more graceful and more like a ballet than, say, the fight between Luke and Vader in Palpatine's throne room. But the fight in Palpatine's throne room trumps the quality of the other fights because there's an emotional punch to it. I do want to clarify... Because you're touching on something that some people responded to the news with so far as skepticism goes, which was essentially the idea that it's just going to be a lot more of that sort of balletic atmosphere going on. The way these guys fight in the movies is absolutely not that. You're not going to get a lot of backflipping. Uh, no, <laughs> you're not going to get a lot like of street brawlers. Essentially, yeah. Like they figured out how to take a good old fashioned, painful ass whooping and make it look good on film. Because. If you've ever been in a fight in your life, it's not pretty. <laughs> it's not well choreographed. It's sort of sloppy and clumsy, and it hurts in all the wrong ways. And they've managed to take that sort of that pain and translate that kineticism so that it is visually interesting, but it's not prolonged. It's not like a dance, really. Just the way that they move tells you that they are skilled in how to fight and not how to make fighting look pretty. They're just really skilled in how to fight each other. They can hire anybody to do the fighting, mm-hmm. and if it helps tell the story in a way that, that makes it more, more emotionally rewarding, I'm all for it. See, and I, th- I think that's going to be the case with these guys. There's really no story in the raid whatsoever, but you do end up f- sort of emotionally invested in the characters but through the way that they fight if, each other. So, If I mean, these guys move and fight a lot differently, it'd be cool to see them cast actually as an alien species. Well, the suggestion that I'm hearing is that wouldn't these guys be a great way to sort of restore some semblance of threat to the stormtroopers <laughs> like what if you saw stormtroopers that were actually competent and these guys whooping ass on our heroes wouldn't that throw a little bit of a scare into you you're just like oh my goodness i'm seeing competent stormtroopers i don't know if that's happened since the clone wars oh my god i've seen some people suggest that maybe they are the red guards from return of the jedi Ooh, yeah that could be interesting we've never oh, seen those We've never seen those guys do anything but stand around. Yoda made them look like chumps. Oh, I know. That was the first thing he did when he rolled into that room in episode three before he made Palpatine <laughs> ride an office chair like a bucking bronco. The first <laughs> thing was- he did when he stepped in was toss the guards to the side like he was getting the dirt off his shoulder. That was one of those moments where the first time you watched it, the stakes are so high and Yoda walks in and those guys both make a move for him and Yoda just like casts his hand aside and they just crumple like paper. 
Um, Yoda getting I, that dirt off his shoulder. Dun, 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 it was that was one of those moments that elicited a cheer, yeah. and people needed a cheer because Revenge of the Sith was so bleak. Speaking of uh, new hires, and this is a possible hire. This is not a definite hire, but this is a possible hire. We are hearing that someone from Lucasfilm has reached out to Drew Struzan to see if he wants to do the posters. That seemed like a no-brainer to me, but it ended up being news that that was a, a thing that could happen. But it's I guess it's still up in the air. Like Drew Struzan hasn't officially agreed, so far as anyone but- knows. Uh, could you guys roll with a poster? that was not done by drew at this point like we know he's around he's in semi-retirement but then again so was john williams and he's coming back to do a score so i mean you kind of need drew don't you if drew struzan comes back to do a bat kid begins poster exactly (laughs) why wouldn't he do star wars but if they didn't go with drew struzan i'd love to see something i'd like i'd love to see him go super old school and get like the hildebrandt brothers that kind of stuff yeah for me i saw a piece that comics artist Phil Noto did just on his own. Oh, like, my yeah. God. He saw the teaser and just within, I want to say, four or five hours, cranked out this black and white drawing, and it looked great. And then he went and colored it, like, I think three or four hours later, and I was like, if you can't get Drew Struzan, get Phil Noto, because he's That's he's the on background it. on my phone. It is? <laughs> that picture, yeah. It's nuts how he seems to have captured the tone of a movie that he hasn't seen. He just saw the same 60-some seconds of footage that we saw, and then just cranked out a poster that seems to capture everything I want episode seven to be in one image. It's really nuts. But I can't imagine Drew's not going to sign on, right? I, why wouldn't he? Well, that guy's a stuff Wedge and Tilly's guy didn't want to be in the new movie, which I don't yeah. blame him for. Like, I hate, I hate when people are like, he's a jerk. I'm like, no, he didn't want to do it. Maybe yeah. Drew Struzan won't want to do it. I just don't see that. It could happen. And I would be... I hope that's not the case. We haven't had drew struzan posters for star wars forever it's just the modern era uh his first posters for the trilogy were the special editions weren't they uh as a matter of fact he worked on that circus poster for star wars the first oh, one oh, yeah. where it looks like a bunch of posters are stuck on a wall and they had to tear pieces of them off he did work on that so that is officially his first work uh for star wars but yeah he didn't do the the original trilogy posters that everyone remembers from their old vhs boxes he didn't do those drew struzan work that a lot of people you know pay attention to when they think of him as the the hand that draws the Star Wars uh, are the special edition posters and the prequel posters. Yeah. My other hope is that they don't take his work into Photoshop and, and mess around with it like they did for uh, episode three. I believe they took his finished work and then they sort of Photoshopped it even further. And I sort of hope that if they do get Drew, when he turns in what he turns in, that they don't touch it. Just go ahead and leave it alone. Yeah. I'm, I'm cool with an original Drew Struzan. I don't think there's a I don't think there's anyone working at Lucasfilm right now that can take what Drew Struzan gives them and then take it into Photoshop and make it quote unquote better. I'm not seeing that. And that happen. guy I mean, that guy will pull out the most iconic imagery without even thinking. I mean, have you heard the story about how he pulled out that iconic movie poster for the thing? They needed a poster literally overnighted to them. Mm-hmm. So they described to him over the phone what the movie was about and where it was set. And he put that thing together in 24 hours. And the reason all the white splotches of snow are on there and like much more flat than you would expect is because the paint was still wet when he sent that over. Like he didn't even get to see the movie. <laughs> 
He just wow. the paint was still wet when he put it in the envelope. I like that a lot. See, and when you're working with genius on that level, you don't take it into Photoshop. It's sort of the same no, thing. No, you leave it alone. Yeah, it's sort of like the same thing that happened to John Williams' score on episodes one and two. And I don't know if it happened so much on episode three, but I know for a fact it happened a lot on episodes one or two. But it ended up getting chopped up in post. And I know that they had their reasons for doing it, but I'm sort of like just, it's John Effing Williams. Yeah, yeah, we can go ahead and leave that alone. You can just go ahead and let that play. Speaking of John Williams, yeah. uh, we should wish him well. He actually canceled an appearance at the end of the month for health issues. Oh, no. I don't want um, to hear that. I don't they said they that. were temporary and minor, but uh, he was supposed to be doing a celebration of John Williams' music with the San Diego, uh, I think it was the San Diego Symphony, and that uh, he he will not be making that appearance, conducting his own music there. Oh man! Well, hopefully that's a it's a very speedy recovery. Hopefully it's nothing more than the New Year's flu that's been going around in a couple different areas of the country. Hopefully it's just that he'll get some chicken soup in him, whatever he, I, whatever he has to take, whatever he has to put blood in of his the body. Innocence. Yeah, exactly. The blood of the innocents. That's, that's you can get <laughs> I that. I volunteer. <laughs> you can get that at Walgreens, right? They have that now uh, in powdered form. Actually, you oh, just good. mix it in with some hot water, <laughs> <you> drink it. <laughs> Emergency has gotten crazy with their flavors, man. I remember when they introduced yeah. Triple Berry, and I was like, emergency, actually, you guys are off the hook. And now, Blood of the Innocents flavor. Oh, positive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They've got lozenges in that flavor, too. Like I don't like those. They make the back <laughs> of your throat all numb. <laughs> I don't like those. <laughs> anyway, all right. On that note, we should probably get the heck out of here. Anything you guys uh, want to say? One last little note for the listeners before we bail out? We've got a Star Wars movie coming out this year. Does that still freak you out a little? Yeah, you know? a little bit. Like, I honestly never thought I would be able to go see a Star Wars movie for the first time ever again. And they announced the Clone Wars movie, and I kind of tried to work up as much excitement about that. Yeah, but you just sort of explained it in the way that you describe it. Like, you had to try to work up excitement. That should have yeah. told you that it, was, it wasn't quite the same thing. It wasn't really the same I, thing. And I enjoyed it, probably more than most people. Well, it's because you had worked at it. <laughs> Um, and, and it's not just that. I mean, we are getting a sequel mm-hmm. to Return of the Jedi. That still just kind of floors me every time I think about it. So try and pace yourself, Brian, if you can. I don't uh, want. I don't want you burnt out by the time my birthday rolls around in 2015, uh, and we're all ready to go see The Force Awakens. Amy, any uh, any parting words? I got from um, Japan a Star Wars, based on Star Wars, English to Japanese dictionary for Padawan learners. Not because I know Japanese or need to learn English, uh, but because I could tell from sample pages that it is priceless. And oh my God, it's priceless. <laughs> it's, I, I saw your pictures illustri- of it and I was like, I, where do I get one of those? But J-box. it doesn't sound like friend. Jbox.com? It has cute illustrations and just the examples like every word in the dictionary has an example of a sentence in star wars and it's just the most endearing hilarious thing i've looked at in a while all I love right it. well while you are promoting jbox.com i also want to make sure you guys promote <laughs> yourselves amy ratcliffe where can they find you online uh you can find me on the twitters at amy underscore geek and uh keep an eye out for my posts on starwars.com and if you pick up Star Wars Insider this month, I somehow managed to have three interviews in there. So check those out. Very nice. Brian Young, where can they find you online? Uh, at Twitter, at SwankMotron, and various other places on the internet like BigShinyRobot.com and my columns at StarWars.com. And they can go to Amazon and type my name in, Brian Young, and look for books that I have written. And they should uh, 
you should read them. <laughs> and uh, next week, I will be gone once again. I will disappear back into the shadows from whence I came, but only for a short moment, because next week's episode is going to be an anniversary episode for Full of Sith. That means the original crew is getting back together. It's going to be Mike, Brian, and and Concetta. And hopefully they will have Steve Sansweet as a guest and they are going to not only reminisce about the olden times when they were a fresh, upstart, young podcast in the Star Wars fandom, but uh, they'll talk about some new things as well. And it's going to be a, a nice sort of reunion for the original three. So I will not be around but for Mike Pilot, for Concetta Parker, for Steve Sansweet, for Brian Young, and for Amy Ratcliffe, I am Bobby Roberts. May the force be with you, always. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.